0: This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit HDWC.org. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Dave. And we are going to be doing something a little bit different today, something that I've never really done before. Uh, we had a technical difficulty with the recording of the sermon on Sunday morning. It was part two of our Disciples series, and uh, we've got a lot of people uh, that have been uh, contacting and whatnot, and uh, just, you know, they were wanting to listen to part two, but it's not available. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over the message and in what i'm going to call the express version i'm going to uh, go through my outline here quickly and uh, at least you'll be somewhat caught up Uh, i know it won't be the exact same as uh, being in a sunday morning service and uh, it won't be the same for me as it normally would be preaching to a regular crowd but we're going to go ahead and give this a shot and see how it goes so why don't i open in prayer here and we'll go through this outline and hopefully you can get caught up Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you so much uh, that we do have the opportunity, Lord, to to serve you, to study your word together. And God, I pray in Jesus' name that for everybody that's listening right now, Lord, that you will absolutely open up their hearts, their minds, their eyes, Lord, to the truth of your word. Show us things that we need to see, God, and I pray that we'll receive correction where we need to receive correction, Lord, and uh, most of all. Lord, we know that we're changing for your glory so we can be disciples like you called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So the focus of this message is called Requirements of a Disciple. In the first part of the uh, series, we were looking at the difference between Converts and disciples because Jesus told us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say to just go get people to repeat a prayer after you and then they're good to go. No, he told us that we had to make disciples. And that that's a process that takes some time, which is probably why a lot of people aren't disciples. They aren't willing to put the time in. But we know, and as we will study, uh, the reward is well worth it. And it's greater than the sacrifices that we have to make. So, three things today about requirements of a disciple. And the first thing we're going to say is this. Number one, is that, disciples number 1 love god's word i'm not saying they like it i'm saying they love it it's a huge part of their life and we're going to look at a verse here in john 8:31 in the new king james version john 8:31 it says then jesus said to those jews who believed in him if you abide in my word you are my disciples indeed and so there's two words right there, two key words, is my word and my disciples. So what does it mean to abide in the word? Well, I know this much, where you abide is where you live. I have people that come and visit me sometimes and, and I appreciate it. They, they visit my, my abode, my residence, where I live. They visit my house, but they don't live there. I know that place in a whole different level than they ever will. And, The same is true for God's word. I know a lot of Christians that they don't abide in it. They visit it maybe once a week on a Sunday morning or or they may give God one to five minutes a day. But that is not abiding in the word that is visiting the word. And it's a great thing to do. It's nice, but you're not going to be a disciple and you're definitely not going to have the victory that he wants you to have so no doubt about it you can't be a disciple without having an all-out love for God's word and uh, in our message on the Sunday morning we, we look at a couple examples of people that loved God's word and gave their life for it one was John Wycliffe and he was the man that uh, completed the first full translation of the Bible into English. And, of course, that was not without persecution. Uh, it wasn't without a lot of sacrifice on his part. Uh, the Catholic priest at the time, they, they didn't want everybody to have the Bible in their own language. And we're not throwing stones at, at our Catholic friends, but it's just it's historical fact uh, that most of the people... In, uh, at least the English speaking world right then, uh, they, they didn't speak Latin. They couldn't read it. And that's what the priests were reading to them in. That's what, that was the copies of the Bible they had. And so they just had to take the priest's word for whatever he said. And so he could have been making up a complete fib to them and they'd believe it and they had no way of checking it themselves. Well, Wycliffe realized that people would really get freedom in every area of their life if they could read the bible in their own language for themselves and if they could study it and understand it it took 13 years to complete but he did complete it and uh and and uh, in 1391 i believe it was 1391 they passed a bill before the parliament that outlawed the bible in english they would imprison anybody that possessed a copy of it in english and that's hard to believe that it would be illegal to own a bible that's in your own language. You can own one in a different language, just not your own language. Well, Wycliffe, uh, he he did it and he got the job done and he died in 1384. Now, the pope uh, later on, Pope Martin, I believe it was, uh, he had such a disdain for Wycliffe that he had his bones dug up. And burned and thrown into the river, kind of thinking that he was going to get the last laugh. But obviously he didn't because we've got the English Bible today in our language. Obviously, several different copies of it, uh, translations of it. And also we looked at William Tyndall, who also uh, went further and uh, and translated the Bible into uh, English a couple of centuries later in the 16th century. And he translated most of what we have in the King James Bible now. And of course, uh, the company that owns the New Living Translation. Uh, The organization is called Tyndall. And uh, most of you know I'm a big New Living Translation fan. (laughs) But let's look at a guy really quickly here that had a love for God's word. We're talking about King David. Uh, Of course, David's the only man in all of scripture that God referred to as a man after his own heart. I believe there's a lot of reasons for that. But one massive reason is because David loved God's word. And so I'm going to look at Psalm 119 here. And I've really been studying Psalm 119 a lot lately because it's the longest chapter in the Bible. But the whole thing is about how much David loves God's word. And it's funny. he uses a lot of different words. He'll say your commandments or your decrees or or your regulations or your instructions. he He uses a lot of different phrases to refer to it, but all in all, this entire chapter is about David's love for the word. And so I'm going to, I'm going to cherry pick a couple of verses here. Psalm 119 verse 72. He says, your instructions or your word are more valuable to me than millions in gold and silver. And so David said, I love the word more than I love money. And I wish a lot of people could say that today. And of course, anybody we would ask, they'd say, oh, yeah, I love I love the word more than money. But if actions speak louder than words, I think we can tell that there's a lot of really nice people, but they do not love the word more than money. And that can be proven by their actions. Verse 97, David said, oh, how I love your instructions or Oh, how I love your word. I think about them all day long. Now, David was a busy man. He was the king. But he said, I think about the word all day long. So again, I wonder why he was called a man after God's own heart. Verses 147 and 148, he said, I rise early before the sun is up. I cry out for help and put my hope in your words. I stay awake through the night thinking about your promise. And so here he is again. He says, I get up before the sun rises to spend time in the word. And then I stay awake through the night thinking about the word. I mean, did the guy ever sleep? Look at this. He loved the word. And then verse 158 here in this verse. This is kind of a this is a pretty direct one. This is hardcore. He says, seeing these traitors makes me sick at heart. Why? Because they care nothing for your word. Wow, that's hardcore. He said, these traitors make me sick at heart because they care nothing for your word. And so, I mean, I, I guess I could say I know people like this, too, that at one point they said that they loved the word. They said that they loved the Lord. They probably identified themselves as a disciple. But in the end. They became traitors because they care nothing for God's word. And if you're somebody that loves the word, that does do something to you, man, that, that that'll that'll make you sick at heart. It hurts. But praise God, we can't control everybody else, but we can control what we're going to do. And I know you and I know me. We're going to stay in the word and we're going to love it. OK, so number one, we're talking about requirements for a disciple. Number one, they love the word. Number two, they know the truth. They know the truth. And so let's go back here, John 8, 31 to 32, New King James. This is where we started. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And verse 32 says, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. He said, you'll know the truth. And so obviously you can't be a disciple if you don't know the truth because you can't help people out of their mess. If you don't even know the truth yourself, a disciple. Now, listen, a disciple doesn't try to justify their own wrong actions by twisting scripture, because we all know people that that do this. It's like they, they're going to make up their own definition of truth. And a disciple doesn't try to define their own truth. They don't try to update the definition of truth. You realize that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. Jesus is Truth. You don't get to pick what's true. Jesus already picked that. We just get to go along with it and abide by it. And sometimes that hurts, but you know what? Tough luck to us. We have got to get over this. Uh, Everybody defines what is true for them. That's absolutely not true. I can't uh, identify myself as a doctor and then go into an emergency room and say, hey, I'm, I'm here to work on you. And, and when they try to kick me out and say, no, I identify as a doctor. Therefore, I am one. All of you have to adjust to me. That's wrong. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make me a doctor just because I feel that it's true to me. It's not true. I didn't put in the work. I didn't uh, put in the hours to become one. So I don't deserve to be called one. And and the truth will make you free. Now, what I just said there is what a lot of people Kind of misinterpret, because verse 32 here, Jesus did not say the truth shall make you free. He said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Truth all by itself doesn't just make people free. There can be a lot of people that hear the truth. There's a lot of people that sit in a church service. Some get it. Some don't. It's the truth that you know. That'll make you free. And so you need to get into the word to know the truth. That goes back to point number one. Now there's something that we call absolute truth. That means there are some things that will always be true. They will never change. Such as murdering is wrong. It'll never be okay to murder. Now I don't care if in, you know, the next five, ten years they say, well, it's okay to, to sometimes murder. No. Murder will always be wrong. Now, some people get the word kill confused with murder. Uh, you know, the when you when you translate literally the word in, in the Old Testament uh, in the Ten Commandments where it says thou shalt not kill, literally that word means thou shalt not murder. Well, murdering someone is unjustly and wrongly taking their life. Now, killing. Uh, sometimes that's justified such as when our soldiers are defending our country against enemies. Uh, they, so every now and then they do have to kill somebody. And that doesn't mean they're a sinner. They're doing, uh, what, what they're sworn and obligated to do. But that doesn't make them a sinner. And so there's a difference between murder and killing. That was a complete sidetrack. But anyway, uh, so there's absolute truth and you don't get to decide what's true. And that's kind of a common belief amongst my generation right now is you choose what's right for you. Well, you don't get to choose what's right for you. Jesus already chose that, and that's what we call absolute truth. And so anyway, I'm going to throw two verses here that uh, kind of prove that point wrong that says you can just decide what's true for you and the, and that truth changes, truth truth needs updated every now and then. Well, John 14:6 it says Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So Jesus is truth. But then Hebrews thirteen eight says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. So if Jesus is truth and Jesus never changes, then truth never changes. And, and, you know, I've heard people say things like, well, I know the Bible does say this, but, but, but the Lord spoke to me and told me that I'm okay to go ahead and and go in this direction. Well, if the Bible says it's not right, then no, Jesus didn't tell you that you're making that up. And I'm going to tell you why it's so important that we have absolute truth. You're like, well, I don't see what the big deal is. It's a big, big deal because if Jesus had to change his mind on something, then that means he was at some point wrong. Which would mean, if he was wrong, that he's not perfect. And if he's not perfect, then he wasn't worthy to die and save us. And that means I don't have any hope of going to heaven. Because I'm counting on Jesus' perfection. I'm counting on on his goodness and, and, and his love and his grace. And so if Jesus... Has to change his mind about what's true. That means he was wrong at some point. And if he was wrong, then he definitely wasn't perfect. And so I'm telling you, Jesus wasn't ever wrong. He's always been right. And his word is always right. I heard a story about a man that was arguing with Abraham Lincoln one day. And Lincoln couldn't get this guy to see his point. He was really getting frustrated with him. So he finally said, okay, how many legs does a cow have? Well, four, of course, came the reply. That's right, said Lincoln. Now, suppose you call the cow's tail a leg. Now, how many legs does he have? Well, five, of course, was the reply. Now, that's where you're wrong, said Lincoln. Calling a cow's tail a leg does not make it a leg. Now, get out of my office. And he threw the guy out because that guy obviously couldn't see that, hey, Truth is truth. You can't change it to to fit your current situation. And so, number one, a disciple loves the word. Number two, they know the truth. And the third thing we're going to say is this. Number three, and this is so important, they follow God's plan for their life instead of their own. They follow God's plan for their life instead of their own. Now I realize everybody listening to this and just like everybody on Sunday did, I'll say something like that and everyone says, Amen, that's right. Well, we need to, we need to be careful there because Not everybody fully agrees with that, or at least they don't fully understand it, because there are a lot of people that are following their own plan for their life instead of God's. And they're getting by. They scratch out a living, but they're not living in God's best. And then they wonder why, well, how come this blessing isn't happening? And and why didn't that ever happen for me? And, And your word promises this, Lord. And yes. His word promises a lot of things, but a lot of those promises are for disciples. They're for people that love the word, that obey the word, and that lay down their lives for the word. And so you can't just step up to the plate and expect to walk in all the fullness of the blessing when you only obey 5% of the word. It doesn't work that way. You're going to be blessed to the level that you love and respect and obey God's word. That's going to be your level of blessing. And so don't expect 100% blessing when you're only willing to give 5% of yourself to the Lord. So number three, a disciple will follow God's plan for his life instead of his own. Matthew chapter 16, 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Well, what does that mean? Do we have to die on a cross too? Of course not. But we do have to lay down our plans. And I know that these verses can be a little bit confusing to some people. And I was reading something that Billy Graham said in reference to, to these verses. He said, in Jesus' day, a cross wasn't just a symbol of pain and suffering. It was mainly a symbol of death. What Jesus was telling them is that they needed to put to death their own plans and desires and then turn their lives over to him and do his will every day. And now listen to me. I, I know a lot of people use the phrase, well, I'm bearing my cross. And they use that when they're facing some sort of a burden or or whatever. Maybe they're having a hard time at the job. And so, well, it's my cross to bear. Well. A burden is not what Jesus was talking about here. When Jesus carried his cross up Golgotha to be crucified, nobody was thinking of the cross as uh, some sort of burden to carry. It wasn't symbolism at that point. Listen to a person in the first century. The cross meant one thing and one thing only death by the most painful and humiliating means human beings could develop. Two thousand years later, Christians nowadays, we view the cross as a beautiful symbol of forgiveness, grace and love. But in Jesus day, the cross represented nothing but torturous death because the Romans forced convicted criminals to carry their own crosses to the place of crucifixion. Bearing a cross meant carrying their own execution device. While facing humiliation along the way to death, people taunting them and and making fun of them. But can you imagine that you're not only going to be executed, but they're making you carrying the bullets for the rifle that's going to shoot you. I mean, the Romans, they knew how to torture people. And so Jesus, though, getting back to this, he he told people if they weren't willing to lose everything, they couldn't be his disciple. And so I've kind of come up with some questions here uh, to ask yourself if you wonder if you are ready to take up your cross. So consider these questions. Ask yourself these to see maybe if you are willing to take up your cross. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing some of your closest friends? That's a that's a fair question because if you're going to be a disciple, there are some people that aren't going to like that. They're not going to like that uh, you love Jesus now more than them and it's going to offend some people. But are you willing to follow and be a disciple even if it means losing some of your closest friends? Are you willing to follow Jesus, even if it means alienation from your family? I know a lot of people that uh, well, they've, they've decided to go all in for the Lord and it rubs their family the wrong way. And sometimes it can bring a divide into the family. But do you love Jesus more than them? And that sounds like a rough thing to say. But Jesus said, you have to love me more than any, anybody, your father, or mother, your, your children and wife. And that's so hard to comprehend. But it's the absolute truth. You have to love Jesus. Number one. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means the loss of your reputation? I mean, if you go all in for Jesus, some people are going to think that you're crazy. They're going to think that that you're in denial. Sometimes when you're facing a difficulty, they'll say, "Well, he's in denial." Well, are you willing to lose your reputation? Are you willing to lose? Are you willing to follow Jesus even if it means losing your job? That's a fair question. But you've got to be to the point where you love Jesus more than your job, more than your money. And we realize it's great to have a job. Thank God for it. But you need to love Jesus more than that. Are you willing to follow Jesus? Even if it means losing your life. And we looked at some of that last week that there are people even to this very day that are giving their lives because they love Jesus so much. So the main question here is this. Are you willing to follow God's plan for your life instead of your own? I use this example to the Sunday morning crowd. I was kind of uh, looking up examples I like to research. And I I was trying to find some modern day examples of people that gave up maybe money and fame to be a full disciple. And, and here's two examples I found. One is Montel Jordan, uh, the famous R&B singer. He sang this song a while back called This Is How We Do It. And I'm not endorsing that song. But uh, a, a few years back, he gave his life to the Lord completely and decided to lay down his fame and money and truly become a disciple of Jesus. And he gave it all up. He left it. He left the, the, the entertainment, the world. He, he left all of it and he became a worship pastor in Atlanta. And even now he has an amazing marriage ministry. He's he's been married to his wife for 24 years. He just released a book that he titled Becoming Unfamous because he decided I'd rather follow Jesus. I'd rather be a disciple, even if it means not the same level of fame, not the same level of money. I love Jesus more than money. I love him more than my job. Another example, as hard as this believes, or as hard as this is to believe, is the actor Chris Tucker. He's from the Rush Hour movies, and um, he gave his life 100% to Jesus a few years back. He moved from Hollywood back to Georgia. He left acting behind at at that time. He decided to completely leave it behind 100%. And he was the I read that he was the highest paid actor in Hollywood at the time, uh, making over twenty five million dollars a movie. That's what I read. Uh, he became a disciple and uh, decided to leave it all behind. Now, he, he does some occasional movies now, which is good and does some stand up comedy. Uh, but his whole goal is to be a clean comic. I was reading this interview with him. He said, being a Christian helps me in comedy. I have to talk about other stuff. Normally, most comics talk about stuff that's easy, maybe like cussing or saying something raunchy. But I have to dig deeper to find something that's still funny and not raunchy. It's harder, and I like the challenge. And so that's a couple of guys right there that were willing to love Jesus more than their money. And the last guy that I'm going to look at is the Apostle Paul. We've all heard of him. He was a successful, educated, respected man. He had a lot going for him. He met Jesus, though, and he decided that he loved Jesus more than all of those things. And so let's read here real quick. Second Corinthians 11. We're going to look at verses 23 through 29. And he kind of lists out here some of the hardships that he endured for Jesus. Now I'm going to read this list and realize he never quit. None of these things made him quit. Verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, on the seas, and I face danger for men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights, I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And Besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches who is weak without my feeling that weakness who is led astray and I do not burn with anger. And so Paul that I mean that sounds like a terrible list of things to go through but he went through all of it willingly joyfully because he was a disciple because he was willing to follow God's plan instead of his own. And so that'll kind of catch you up there on uh, our Disciple Series. Uh, these are some requirements for being a disciple. Number one, you got to love the Word. Number two, got to know the truth. And number three, got to follow God's plan instead of your own. We love you guys. I thank you for listening and giving us some of your time. And we will see you next Sunday or you'll hear us again on the podcast next week. God bless. Thank you for listening to this podcast.